Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Lake podcast where we're going to be exploring above and below the surface. We'll take a deep dive into the world of fishing, diving, and surfing. Every week, we're going to sit down with experts to learn more about them and get their freshest, hottest takes on all things salty. Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. I'm your host, Cheyenne Bearson, and today we have on with us Salt Life team member, and for those of you who don't know, my husband, Taylor Bearson. Today, we're going to be discussing his recent fishing trip to the Bahamas for yellowfin tuna. Taylor, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name's Taylor Bearson. I'm 31 years old. I live here in South Florida. Uh, we enjoy everything, including the salt life, including fishing, surfing, spear fishing. Anytime we can get out on the water, it's a good day. I can second that because I'm in on most of your salty adventures. Uh, that being said, what have you been up to? What's the salty salt life lifestyle been like in South Florida lately? So life's been pretty busy for me lately. And obviously in the last year, I've been really busy, but you know, we just take every advantage we can either going out on their boat, fishing, diving. Um, the waves have been pretty good lately. And even if we don't have a lot of time to set something up, we just love just getting out on the water and just hanging out. That's one of the perks of living here in South Florida. You can pretty much jump on the boat or head to the beach anytime that you have a free moment and the weather and seas line up for us. Exactly. All right, let's get down to it. Tell us about your trip to the Bahamas, your tuna fishing. Give us a whole rundown. So tuna fishing in South Florida is a little different than a lot of places. It's very seasonal, but we have to do it a different way because where we fish for the tuna is technically in the Bahamian waters. So it's long days checking in. It's a little bit different than most places, but just as fishing for tuna in a lot of other places, it's a lot of fun. So where did you go? So we left out of Jupiter, Florida, and we ran to West End. We checked in, we spent the night, and then that morning we woke up really early and we fished a place called the Corner that they call, which is northeast of the Bahamas. Okay. And how long would you say your fishing day was since you got there the night before? It sounds like you had a long day. I'm sure you're fishing and then heading home. How long was your day? So the ride to the Bahamas was about two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. Then we checked in, got as much sleep as we could because we were all excited. Woke up before dark and we ran around White Sands, around Memory Rock over to the corner, which is technically, if you want to locate it, it's about 110 miles off Sebastian, um, Sebastian, Florida. So it's a really long day. You wake up before the sunrise. You want to get ready to fish as the sun's coming up and then we ran all the way home afterwards so we didn't get home and off the boat till about five o'clock that night long day yes okay so how many yellowfin tuna did you catch that day well you and the boat <laughs> so that day the boat caught six yellowfin tuna Ooh, that's a lot yes it was a good day and what would you say the average size was so the average size is about 65 to 70 pounds, which is abnormally an abnormal good day for a tuna fishing down here. A lot of times we get smaller ones, but we found the right pack of fish and we definitely caught some big ones. So for you guys listening, I was not on the boat that day. Unfortunately, when I go, we do not catch that big of yellowfin. So when Taylor sent me those pictures, I was so excited, but 
I can't lie, there was a little bit of dang, I wish I was there FOMO in me as well. We wish you were there too. So what was your personal best that day? And what was the boat's personal best that day? So I caught about a 65 to 70 pounder. Um, the biggest fish we caught that day was about 80 pounds, which for us, we were really excited because like I said, we were going over there just hoping to catch some fish. And that was the biggest, that was the biggest one of the days, about 80, 85 pounds. So you said yours was how big? 60, 65 pounds. What were your emotions reeling that fish up? I mean, that's got to be a heck of a fight. Well, I caught the third or fourth fish. So the bigger fish was already caught that day. And I watched everybody else reel theirs in. And I definitely knew I was in for a battle. So when I got on the rod, it's pretty much a race against the sharks out there because the sharks follow the tuna schools. So I knew... You really couldn't have any emotions when you were fighting the fish. You just knew you had to crank as hard as you could. The real emotion set in once the fish was on the boat and looking at the size of the fish and knowing that you succeeded for the day. So I was really, really excited. So it was just straight up crank, put your head down and crank as hard as you can, go time for that fight. Yeah, just keep the sweat out of your eyes and just keep cranking because you don't want to be the person on the rod that loses the fish. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <A little> pressure. <laughs> Did, how long was your fight? So the fight was only like 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. But like I said, we were using really heavy tackle and you can't really baby the fish in because the amount of sharks. So what we do is we use a heavy tackle, heavy drag, and we would rather break the fish off than lose the fish to the sharks. Okay. How bad were the sharks that day? So usually the sharks are really bad. Usually the fish um, are schooled up and they're eating the bait. The tuna are the, the bait for the sharks. So usually the sharks are pretty bad. We got really lucky and really blessed that day and we didn't lose a single fish. But you always have it in the back of your mind. That's that the sharks awesome. are lurking. You guys were giving it your all to get those fish to the boat. Oh yeah, sore arms, sore backs. So you briefed a little bit on you were using heavy tackle, but can you give us a full rundown of your setup, everything from your gear, your bait, um, the kind of rods and reels you were using to get these tuna in, especially in a 15-minute fight? That's a big tuna to get up to the boat but that quickly. Yeah, so before the night before we went out with my friend, we talked about it. Most people use 50-wide stand-up tackle. And we decided we didn't really want to mess around. So we broke out the 80 wide bent butts. Um, we were spooled up with 80 pound mono with 80 pound leaders, all wind on leaders. And we knew that if we hooked a fish, we didn't want to risk losing it. So we were using some pretty heavy tackle. Seems like 80 was the magic number in this equation. Yes, yeah, so that's what got the job done. What about gas? Did you have to have a big heavy duty gas to get these in the boat? Did you guys have a two to door or did you just hoist it over this, the side? So we had multiple gaffs. Um, the big secret though is as many tuna fishermen have found out the hard way. Um, if you try to gaff one of these fish while they call them green, which is still alive and full of energy, you're going to regret the decision and you're probably going to straighten the gaff. So we had multiple gaffs. I don't know if it was three or four, but after battling the fish on the big rod and putting so much drag on them, usually the first person that gets close enough to the fish gaffs it with a decently big calf, but as the next person putting another second, third gaff into the fish, trying to get them. And we didn't use a tuna door. We just heaved them over the side. Okay. So basically 
you as the person fighting the fish, were you able to get in on the gaff as well at the end? Or was it just the other people on the boat were sticking it as fast as possible? Yeah, no, the guy on the rod is just on the rod. We were fighting him out of the gimbal. So the person on the rod is solely committed to that rod. So by the time the fish gets to the boat, their arms are noodles. You got sweat pouring off you. You're out of breath. So you're thankful that there's other people on the boat to get the gaff shot. Okay, good, good. <laughs> as Would soon as sit- the fish is gaffed, you're running to get a cup of a glass of water. And what was your procedure once you got the fish onto the boat? What did you guys have to do to it to make sure that it didn't spoil? Because that's a big fish exerting a lot of energy for those 15 minutes, heating up its body temperature. And over in the Bahamas, even in Florida, we know that the water temps aren't all that cool. So what did you guys do to cool it down? So as soon as you get the fish on the boat, we don't mess around with pictures or anything because our biggest is our biggest concern is keeping the food quality good. So you immediately bleed the fish out. You cut the gills and uh, you slice right behind their fin and bleed the fish out. We brought 400 to 500 pounds of ice in the front fish box. Um, you never know. You might not catch anything, but you might catch fish like we did that day. And you'd rather go prepared with as much ice as you can just to keep the fish cold. So after bleeding the fish out, you immediately put them in ice and we make an ice slushy, they call it. So a brine solution. So you put the ice in the, in the fish box, you get it loose, and then you put a couple buckets of seawater in it kind of just to get it slushy. And then you have to immediately submerge the fish to cool it off. You can't let them sit in the sun. Okay, so that's good. And how long did you say you would wait for our listeners who might be going out and doing this? They do this, but they're also really excited to get their picture while the fish is still colored up. How long would you say you had to wait to get those temperatures down? So the thing about a big tuna like that is once you get it in the boat, they're still alive and they're a lot stronger than you think. So once you bleed them out, you can take a picture with it, but they'll the goal for us is just get them as fast as you can in the ice. Um, but you can take your picture. You can hose off, hose them off, clean them off, take a quick picture, get them on the ice. But we let them sit in the ice for at least an hour before we took them back out because we continued to fish. And the thing about the tuna fishing is when the bite is good, you don't have time to take pictures because you want to catch the next one and the one after that. So we kind of took pictures once the bite died down. That's good to know. So just keep going while they're hot. And How do you find the tuna? Is there a certain depth or bottom or something that you're looking for in order to really hone in on their territory? Yeah, so we're fishing the the canyons um, offshore. And what it is, it's just big drop-offs and deep water and the Gulf Stream. And you don't really fish a specific spot like you're bottom fishing. But what you do is the night before you get up online and you look for temperature breaks, kind of to sort of locate the differences and the current changes in the eddies. And once you get close to that location, you turn your radar on. And we actually use radar to find the birds because the birds follow the tuna because they're blowing up and eating bait fish. So we actually use the radar to find the birds to help us find the schools of fish. Okay, and I don't think, at least I don't remember, did you tell us what you were using for bait? No, so for bait that day, we were using, mostly we're using either naked ballyhoo, which is just a rigged ballyhoo on mono leader with a single hook um, trolling behind the boat, or we were using a rigged ballyhoo that we rigged on the way there 
with an Islander or like a, a flasher skirt on top of it. Okay. Did you have to use any kind of additional teasers or anything like that? Or were you just fishing the valley hood? So we were prepared for everything. So we had teasers ready. We had dredges ready. Um, but you never, like I said, you don't really know what you're going to encounter over there. So once you find the fish, the fish are always constantly moving. So the least amount of stuff that you need to put in the water is better. So when we find a school of fish, because they're moving so fast, sometimes they move faster than the boat control. So sometimes you put all your baits in the water and they, the fish swim off and with the birds and the bait and everything else. So you have to pull everything back in and try to position yourself in front of the school of fish. So we were using as least amount of stuff as possible. So we were trolling four rods, um, two in the outriggers and two on the flat lines. And that way we had four people on the boat, one could drive and everybody could put a line in and try to set the bait out in the right position to hopefully get a bite very fast. How long do you think it took you to get your first bite? Were you having to go in and out, in and out with the rods and the ballyhoo and everything? So when we got over there, it usually takes a little bit because we're about 40 to 50 miles from land. So you're looking for the birds. So obviously the birds wake up, they have to fly, find their own fish. So it took us about an hour to mark the first pack of birds. And it's kind of a catch 22 because you want to keep running, looking for the birds, but you know, they're still on the way to you, hopefully. So once we found the first pack of birds and put our lines in the water, it was only about five to 10 minutes before the first bite. Oh, really? Okay. So that was pretty instantaneous. Yeah. So because you're in the middle of nowhere, there's really not that much out there other than dolphin, wahoo, and tuna. And the first pack of birds we moved, pulled up on, we actually saw it look like Nat Geo, the, the big yellowfin tuna were skying out of the water. So we knew we found the right school. We just had to get the, the right fish to bite. When you're talking about birds, are is there a specific kind of bird, a frigate bird, a seagull? I mean, what, what kind of bird are we talking about here? I'll be honest. I don't know what they're called. Um, we call them tuna birds, but they're not frigate birds. You'll find a frigate bird every once in a while, but that's not the ones that we're looking for for tuna fishing. Uh, we're looking for they're like the size of a seagull, a little smaller with a little black head. And they range from four birds in a flock of birds to a hundred birds. So that's what you're looking for out there. And they're funny because when the, when they're, when you get up on them, if the tuna are deep, they'll all be sitting in the water with their head in the water and they're actually looking for the fish as well. Wow. They have a little built-in goggle system. Yeah. I wish I had that. <laughs> Me too. But I, I don't know the name of them either, but I do know the kind of bird that Taylor's talking about because when we do it, I'm always on the lookout for them and they are very cute little birds. So yeah. look for the cute birds. If you don't know, when in doubt, they're cute. They kind of look like a small little seagull. Um, With a little like buzz cut. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of bait were these birds eating to bring the tuna up? You kind of have to like the old, all the fishermen say match the hatch. So out there in the canyons, you, you don't really know what they're eating. So when you go out there, there's such deep water, the fish can go all the way to the bottom, all the way to the surface. And what they'll kind of do is they'll corral the bait fish that they find. Um, that day they were eating flying fish, little flying fish. And then towards the end of the day, um, we found when the fish kind of spread out, they were eating the little fish on the, like the little bait fish on the seaweed patches. 
But the really cool thing was once you brought the fish in, a lot of times they were spitting up squid. So they were obviously down deep and at nighttime they were eating the squid that were coming up from the deep water. And um, it's always cool to see what they're eating. How interesting. So nighttime, they're down cruising the deep for the squid. And then earlier in the day, they're up on the surface eating those little bait fish. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, maybe, I mean, some like you think in the daytime when it gets super hot out there and the water's really hot, maybe they go down deeper. And that's why the bite dies off fairly early as the sun comes up. And maybe all night they're eating squid. But I feel like it's always a little different. You know, that's why you have to be ready with the squid teasers and everything else. And luckily that day it was fairly simple. They were eating uh, flying fish. So our ballyhoo looked close enough to the flying fish that they were eating them. Have you ever tried squid for fishing for them? Have you ever dropped down a squid, um, like a frozen squid? So in the Bahamas, you fish for tuna two different ways. You can do it the way we were doing, which is running, gunning and trolling, or you can chunk. Um, the chunkers and the live baiters, they'll do the same thing. They'll find the schools of bait with the radar and or the fish, the birds with the radar and then get in front of it. And then they'll start chumming, which is just chunks of squid and chunks of um, man-hating and pilchards. And they'll try to bring the fish up their chum line to them so they can flip back a hook. And when I've done that before, I have used squid, um, but the squid is kind of soft and it, I feel like the bait, the like the chunks of fish just work just as good. I love, the but I do know fishing. people that have trolled trolled squid out there and caught them. Okay, so it probably just falls apart a little bit easier on the troll because it's softer. Yeah, it's not that it's harder to rig than a ballyhoo, but the ballyhoo are just super easy to throw a hook in, throw a skirt over top of them, and troll them. Okay, that makes sense. So especially if you are moving from bird. Uh, group of birds to group of birds, then it's probably easier to have something a little hardier to toss out over and over again. Definitely. And we troll because you're trying to keep up with them. A lot of times you're trolling a little faster than you normally would. So you're speeding up to try to get in the right spot and you're slowing down and you just don't want to risk putting a half beat up squid in front of a tuna fish before you're ready for them to eat. And they look at it and they, they think something off with that bait. How often do you need to change your ballyhoo out? Is there a, a, like a telltale sign that lets you know, hey, it's time to change it? Or do you just do it every great once in a while? When, how often are you changing these baits out? So it kind of depends on how serious you want to be. Um, the obvious answer is when you bring a, a ballyhoo in, if it's been trolling too long and the bellies, they call it washed out. If the belly's blown out or the scales are knocked off and it just kind of looks like you've been towing it behind a boat for too long, I suggest you change it. Now, when we're tournament fishing and whatnot, we're changing ballyhoo out every 10 minutes, we, 10, 15 minutes. We don't let the ballyhoo sit in the water very long. You want everything as fresh as possible. So you got to think when, you, when the tuna see a flying fish, most of the time that flying fish is healthy and it's running away from them. You don't really want to put a bait out that's quote unquote washed out. Okay, that makes sense. So the fresher the bait, uh, the intention is the better the bite. Yes, definitely. And like the other thing is with tuna fishing, because you're moving from spot to spot, you have time to refresh your baits, put new ones on, and you're only trolling four at a time. So it's really not that big of a deal with two guys to throw, to throw two baits on each hook or a bait on each hook real quick and put your fresh baits out. 
Gotcha. So backtracking a little bit here, something that stood out to me earlier was you said that you were the night before you were checking um, the different temperature changes in the water. Is that something like, is there a reason why or a theory to why we should or shouldn't do that? So in the middle of the ocean, it's basically a giant desert. So if you just drive your boat into the middle of the ocean, you can drive miles and miles and miles before you find something that is different. And the fish seem to like something that is different, a change. So whether it be a, a rip current out there, a weed line, an eddy, even just a simple temperature break. But if you're just in the boat driving, when you're driving and it's almost dark and the sun's coming, you might miss some of those things. So it's just a little advantage that we use to try to find a difference without even having to look for it on the boat. And if you think about it, the ocean currents change because temperatures are different. And a lot of time you'll, you'll have warm water pushing on cold water and it creates currents. And then the currents collect the bait fish. When the bait's stuck in the current, they have to work harder to swim. And those big predators can swim up and they can corral them a little bit easier and get to them. So that's kind of why the fish tend to congregate on those current changes, temperature breaks, weed lines like that. It's a little oasis in the desert. Those are some good tips to know because even just those little tips, little tricks, um, seems to compound interest and help you have better success on your catch or your day or your size of the fish, amount you catch, whatever it may be. Definitely, yes. With how much everything costs nowadays with fuel and ice and bait, you want to take as, as, as big of a, a precaution as you can to go catch fish. So you do you use everything you can. Totally. And the biggest reward to catching these fish is eating them. If you haven't eaten yellowfin tuna, you are missing out. It's amazing. And something that Taylor was talking about earlier was they wanted to make sure they got their fish on ice right away to preserve the quality of it. Because I know his favorite way of cooking the fish, but he's about to tell you his favorite way to prepare yellowfin tuna. Babe, what is it? In my opinion, the best way to cook yellowfin tuna is rare or raw. If you cook it more than rare and seared, I feel like it ruins it. Um, people all over the world pay top dollar for sushi grade tuna. And we were lucky enough to catch it on the boat, bring it home to us. So if you do poke bowls, slice seared tuna thin, we make sushi at home all the time. Um, sesame seared tuna steaks, I could go on and on. And pretty much any way you cook it without overcooking it is the secret. What is your favorite? My personal favorite is when you cut it really, really thin, put it on a plate, um, you put it in the freezer, and then I think you put some lime on it. Is that what it is? Yeah. So I, I'll take a nice loin and I slice it thin, and then I squirt a little bit of lime or lemon juice on it, I put it in the fridge just to get it nice and cold, and a little wasabi, a little cocoa aminos or soy sauce. That's the way. That's the way I like it. You were saying that you use the loin. Is there certain pieces that you use um, that are better for certain ways that you're going to prepare it? So like the top shoulder of the, the elephant tuna is what most people think is the best. But a lot of people in different parts of the world really like the belly meat. Um, the head has a big chunk of it in it that is really tasty. But... For the average person, if you take a fresh yellowfin tuna that's 
cared for properly on the boat, it doesn't really matter what part you eat. It's, it's all really good. Do you recommend freezing it before eating it raw? I don't. I don't ever do that. Um, I know for sushi grade products at restaurants and stuff, I'm fairly certain that they do flash freeze them. But our fish are so fresh and I personally know that I've cared for them that I'm not concerned about freezing it before. That's good to know. So no need to freeze them if you've taken good care of them. You can get right to the sushi straight off the boat if you really want to. I know we've done that quite a few times um, with Wahoo also. So my favorite, another way is, like you said, sushi. We like to do our own sushi at home. You can make your sushi rice or go to your local sushi restaurant and uh, ask ask them to make you some rice. And most of the time you can buy the rice from them and that way you don't have to go through the whole process of making the sticky rice also um and then load it up with your favorite ingredients you know do your favorite sushi roll like you would get at the restaurant and go from there and it's probably gonna be the best roll you've ever had because you get to add a lot more fish than they usually do um you could be more generous with yourself yeah and you really realize how little fish is put in the normal sushi roll so once you start making sushi rolls, you can really go to town and you can really overeat some sushi. And that's probably the best part. Yeah. you Sometimes you go out to a restaurant, you get a sushi roll and you're like, still a little hungry afterwards, not at home. You're like, oh my gosh, I just ate so much sushi. What am I going to do tonight? Exactly. And the most important ingredient is the wasabi, right? Oh, yes. Wasabi and ginger. I love the ginger too. So shout out your social medias for us so we can follow along with your all your salty adventures from surfing, diving, fishing, and just overall living the South Florida salt life. So my Instagram handle is just my name, t- at Taylor Bearson. So give me a follow and you can keep up with all me and Cheyenne's um, salty adventures throughout the year. Well, thanks so much for being on this episode, Taylor. We really had a good time discussing the tips and tricks and also the preparation so that we can get the best quality of sushi-grade tuna. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a good day. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening in to Above and Below a Salt Life podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Real Salt Life. If you've enjoyed this episode, rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to help spread the word. And remember, stay salty.